Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Ruler Long Reads is supported by Lack of Bicycle Insurance. Lacquer is a team that looks out for each other. Their collective cover is made for cyclists, for life on and off your bike. Lacquer has flipped outdated traditional insurance on its head. No more fixed up front premiums. Instead, your monthly contributions are based on the collective's claims that month. Your maximum monthly price is capped, but the savings are all yours. Plus 80% of your money goes straight back into the collective. Fixing, replacing, helping, whatever. And the other 20% keeps their wheels spinning. It's as simple as that. And when things do go wrong, Lacquer's got your back. Claims are handled by experts and usually agreed within a day, so no depreciation or excess. Lacquer does not do annual contracts locking you in. With Lacquer, if you want to leave, you can, anytime. If you're new to Lacquer.co, you can get a £10 credit by signing up today. Use the code RULER. Now then, here's an infomercial message for the discerning folk of Rulerland. For the finest long-form cycling journalism and exquisite photography and design, why don't you simply subscribe to Rouleau magazine? It costs as little as £7 per month. Regular columnists include Orla Chenwi, Roman Bardet and me, Ned Bolting, accompanied by features from the best writers and photographers in the business. Simply go to rouleur.cc. You know this makes sense. New Blood by James Stout. Read by George Oliver. What does doping feel like? After decades of racing in the bunch... A top amateur cyclist satisfies his curiosity in a clinical trial. He discovers that it's not what you put into your body, but what you get out that matters. Download the Rulo app and the whole of issue 20.4, in which this feature was published, can be read for free. Simply enter the code NEWBLOOD. I have a photo from a minor pro bike race I once did. I'm one of four riders in a small group and we're all pretty committed to what we're doing, whatever that is. I can't remember as it was six years ago and what seemed very important then isn't so important now. But what I can tell you about that photo is that I'm pretty sure I'm the only guy in it who's still allowed to race bikes. If you've ever cycled competitively, there are three questions that you've almost certainly asked yourself. One, who the hell is on the front and what are they possibly going to achieve by riding so hard? Two, can I get away with these socks? Three, What does it feel like to dope? I'm not here to tell you what that person is doing on the front because I very rarely found myself there, but I can help you with the last question. Because after years of trying at racing, I gave up and, instead of wondering anymore, I thought I may as well find out. Hopefully I could answer my own questions and, in the process, help a future generation of racers to not be faced with the constant lingering doubt about what they need to do to succeed. As for the second question, your socks look great. Go get them, tiger.
Doping has sadly become a perennial issue in cycling. Every year there's a new drug, a new disgrace and a series of articles on websites where we all persuade ourselves that this will be the last time this happens. Let's be clear. Cycling is far cleaner than it once was. Despite the non-endemic media's perception of bike racing as a kind of endurance version of WWE wrestling, the vast majority of riders and racers wouldn't know where to begin doping. But that doesn't mean they don't wonder how it feels. Everybody who has found themselves in the Grappetto all week only to see the same guys ride away from them three weeks later has marvelled at how form can change that fast. We've all asked ourselves, what is it like to not get tired? To always be the hammer and never the nail? Does it feel like every day on the bike is your best day? Or a little bit superhuman? Or like you've had too much coffee? I got a chance to find out. As part of a clinical trial designed to develop a test that will be able to identify autologous blood doping, I had a pint of my blood drawn, stored and reinfused a month later. Essentially, I blood doped for science. Now before the bottom half of the internet gets upset and starts emailing the editor, I signed all kinds of forms saying I wouldn't race, and I didn't race. I didn't do any group rides, I even made my Strava account private. I did, in that sense, deprive myself of knowing what an ill-gotten victory is like, but I didn't really care about that. I wanted to know what my body would feel like. I obtained a power meter from Quark because I wanted some kind of objective feedback to balance what I imagined would be the best sensations I had ever experienced against the old ones. Cheating in bike racing has made tangential appearances throughout my life. I don't really feel like anyone took anything from me personally, apart from the joy I would have felt being able to trust everyone I raced against, and the enjoyment of spectacular performances as a fan without a nagging sense of doubt. I competed a little in Asia and knew a few of the Iranian and Kazakh riders there were charging, but I would probably have done the same in their circumstances, so I found it hard to be too indignant. It gave them a shot at a better life. I raced a fair bit in Southern California too, and I have a photo somewhere of some suspiciously muscular masters racer bullying skinny kids in a local crit before he went positive for the third time. I don't really understand why veterans cheat but I suppose they're making up for something that I'm glad I don't have to make up for. I'm not one to blanket demonise everyone who dopes, but I still think cheating in a bike race makes you a bit of a prick. I certainly felt like a bit of a prick when I walked into the San Diego blood bank to make a deposit that I fully intended to withdraw a few weeks later. I couldn't get past the feeling that I was literally the only person in that building not there to help save a life. I didn't feel any better a month later when I was sitting in the reinfusion room next to chemo patients as my own blood dripped into my arm for four hours. Whole blood, as it turns out, isn't the easiest thing to reintroduce into your body. A painful blockage and an alarming bulge in my forearm made me question who on earth would ever do this to themselves. Winning bike races is fun, but when my vein inflated like a balloon I started wondering what the hell I was doing there that I was going to die to go a little bit faster on a bike. Some of the nurses panicked, but a saline flush and a reassuring word from one of them set me right again. If I'd experienced the same thing in the dingy Catalan apartment I once called home, I'd have ripped that needle out of my arm and left the place looking like a crime scene, which it would have been. I have, at various points, tried really hard to be better at bike racing. I have gone to bed hungry, I've stared at SRM screens a lot, I've covered my helmet in a questionable fashion which I thought might be aerodynamic. 
but I can't even begin to imagine the level of desire or need to be better that must drive someone to go through this process alone, month after month, risking serious damage to their body each time. I thought I could, and I know that nothing about pro bike racing is healthy, but I wasn't ready for the sense of panic that I experienced when my arm started feeling like it might pop at any second. For some reason, I didn't expect to feel like a prick when I actually rode my bike, but I did. Blood doping feels odd. It's not that I didn't get tired, my legs still burned and I still struggled for breath, but I recovered alarmingly quickly so that I could do it again and again. It's a bit of a letdown, actually. The process of getting better is anything but pain-free. Doping, at least this kind, lets you suffer more in training so you can suffer less or for longer in races. Power numbers look good, like you're on a good day, and they keep looking good all week and five hours deep into a big session. At first it's hard to perceive the difference. It's not the presence of any great feeling that is notable so much as the absence of the bad feelings. I felt fresher and more chipper after a long ride and short, intense sessions than I usually did. The mental fatigue from focusing on intervals and long, hard rides is still there, and it stacks up day by day. I realised pretty quickly why riders sometimes go positive for stimulants like cocaine and amphetamine, as I dumped the third puck of coffee into my bin and a third double espresso down my throat before 9am, when I had been planning to leave home 30 minutes earlier for a five-hour ride on my own. Instead, I was staring at my bike and willing it to disappear because riding as hard as you can for five hours by yourself isn't fun. As it turns out, nobody really wants to engage in 60-minute normalised power dick-swinging contests on a Tuesday in January. I rode alone a lot during this experiment, so I got plenty of time to think about cheating, red blood cells, bike racing, and all the things that I didn't miss about dedicating my whole life to going marginally faster on a bike. My power meter replaced conversation on long rides and it told me I was getting better. I'd return from endurance rides with an average power 20 to 30 watts, about 10%, higher than before. I assumed this was due to the pint of my own blood allowing more oxygen to get to my muscles. The psychological boost that comes from getting something you've been thinking about for a decade might be part of it too. Professor Chris Harrison, the researcher conducting the study at San Diego State University, thinks there might be more at play. I came into my doping phase pretty creased. I rode about 30 hours the week before, taking every chance I had to squeeze in long rides to the point that I was probably not the best partner or person to be around. I took the lift instead of two flights of stairs to get my infusion. Very pro. I was so tired, in fact, that I fell asleep when getting the infusion, then woke up to ask for a snack, then fell asleep again, then woke up in a massive panic because my arm felt like it might explode. After receiving the blood, I went home, had dinner, and felt disappointingly normal the next morning. But when I got on my bike, I didn't feel the sting of fatigue that I'd noticed the day before. I felt pretty good. The sort of feeling that we all get from time to time, what some people call no-chain days. Harrison surmises that along with the small increase in oxygen delivery, about 5% more red cells, there is also a protein-sparing effect. If your body isn't using protein to make red cells it can use those nutrients to repair muscles as well. There might also be some glucose in the blood, giving extra fuel to tired muscles and delivering a recovery benefit. None of that makes it easier to get up and beat yourself senseless for hours at a time, but it makes it possible. 
ex-racer Tyler Hamilton described blood doping in not-too-glowing terms. The key to riding with a BB blood transfusion is that you have to push past all the warning signs, past all the usual walls. You get to that place beyond your edge, the pace where you've fallen a thousand times and all of a sudden you can hang in there. You're not just surviving, you're competing, making moves, dictating the race. Imagine driving all day long with your rev counter in the red zone. The engine is screaming and your instinct is to slow down, but somehow the car purrs, holds together, and you get where you're going half an hour faster. Bet you'd be gripping the wheel pretty tightly. It's this place beyond the limits that makes doping so very taxing, and that's without any of the guilt and fear Hamilton and other pro racers must have felt. It's incredibly hard to push your body every day into unfamiliar and petrifying territory. There's a lot about doping I didn't get to feel. I was supervised by a team of researchers who checked my blood values before and after every day's ride. The goal was to determine a test for blood doping, to see what stored cells look like and how they are different to cells just damaged by hard exercise. My blood was kept in a blood bank, not the office of a sketchy German doctor who I never met, or in a shoebox I conned someone into smuggling into the country, as Michael Rasmussen is said to have done. I never administered my own IV using the shower in a hotel room or a hook on my wall. I never panicked about a blood test or had to dispose of the evidence of my shame, other than the proof that I put into the pedals of my bike. I found it difficult to know what cyclists who have been blood doping for a long time feel like when they cheat. It's hard to come to an ethical conclusion about doping, and this experience didn't make it any easier. We don't like doping because we want sport to be about more than being good at exercise. We want sport to reward morale as well as physical virtue. We want to believe that our champions tried the hardest and gave up the most on the route to the top step of the podium. But the truth is, anyone who ever got paid to ride a bike got there mostly on genetics, and that I have never tried harder than I did when I knew my legs could do what my head didn't want to day after day for a month. At the end of the day, doping is only cheating because we've decided it's cheating. But that's really the most powerful argument of all. Health is meaningless to some pro athletes. A fair few would give up decades of their lives to win medals, and any argument that doping is unnatural or prevents a level playing field can easily be countered by examples of everything from altitude tents to TT helmets to Greg LeMond's freakishly high natural VO2 max. Doping is bad because there's always someone who isn't doing it, and they don't deserve to lose races and life chances because they don't want to break the rules. When you race a bike, you sign up to follow the course, no shortcuts. Doping isn't an easy shortcut, but it's a deviation from that route and that isn't compatible with sporting spirit. I'm sure that most of us can recall no chain days. The ones I had during my flirtation with doping were great. But I wonder how many of us recall them as fondly as the times when our performance wasn't quite the best that we've ever achieved, but when we rode a lot and spent all day outside with friends enjoying companionship, cake and the challenges of a long ride. It took an opportunity to try out doping for me to realise that it isn't really how many watts I do that determines how much I enjoy riding my bike. Even when I was racing hard, if I sat down after the season and listed my favourite days on the bike, they were the big training sessions when my friends and I alternated between flogging each other on climbs and buying each other coffee in Catalan mountain towns. 
Doping wouldn't have made that coffee taste better, those friendships stronger, or the post-ride feeling of hunger and exhaustion more satisfying. And those are the feelings I ride my bike for. In fact, doping made me so focused on my performance that I forgot to enjoy riding my bike and entirely gave up on listening to my body as I didn't really know how it worked any longer. So, here's your answer to the question about how doping feels. Not as good as your best days. And even when it's not actually cheating, pretty lonely. You have been listening to New Blood by James Stout. Read by George Oliver. Download the Real Hour app and use the code NEWBLOOD to read the whole of issue 20.4 for free. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.